Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee's time in front of the NCAA Committee on Infractions is complete. And now we await the sanctions from a years-long investigation into recruiting and impermissible benefits violations alleged to have occurred by under former coach Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. Adam Sparks is with us alongside John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. I am Blake Topmeyer. Adam was up last week in Cincinnati, Ohio for the two-day meetings in front of the committee on infractions was supposed to be three days they got it done in two two long days closed door meetings but adam was hanging out up there at the at the weston and in cincinnati and and will be uh, unpacking what he heard saw and took away from that experience here on the podcast today so adam uh welcome back did you get to see much of cincinnati or really just a hotel hallway i saw the uh, i saw the third floor of the Weston, which is where all the conference rooms were. Um, I saw the Chipotle down the street pretty frequently. Uh, I went through a lot of hardships in Cincinnati. You know, they don't teach you in, in, in J school and journalism school how to cover a hearing in which you can't attend. You can only sit outside the conference room and read body language and, and see if you can pull somebody aside to get some background. Uh, I ate Chipotle with uh, the first night with no utensils. Um, that's uh, Ron DeSantis there, uh, <laughs> scooping pudding out of out of a cup with your fingers. That's uh, it's pretty close to what it was. Uh, it's a lot of hardship. Uh, I, I put Starbucks almost out of business. Um, because uh, it was just coffee and Mexican food all week. Uh, we we had to stay. Uh, myself and, and Brent Hubs were the only two media members up there, and then uh, so so we had to basically camp out. Um, outside of a conference room where the hearing was and in between conference rooms where Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt's legal staffs um, assembled and sat in front of the elevator to see who was going in and out, who was with whom, uh, who didn't show up, and uh, and try to read the mood of uh, what was going on in a room that we couldn't see. You, you had to practice your, your art of observations, uh, but uh, we, we did that for a couple of days. Jeremy Pruitt was there. Philip Fulmer was there. Chancellor Dondi Plowman current AD Danny White, lawyers, Casey Pruitt was there, and, and it all occurred uh, behind closed doors, but you were able to, to piece together some some takeaways that we'll, we'll get into here. The New Sentinel probably should have sent me up there instead of Adam, because I'm well-schooled in closed-door meetings. When I was a, many years ago, a columnist in Jackson, Mississippi, I broke a front-page story in the Sunday morning Clarion Ledger by listening through a hotel door. <laughs> I a, I have uh, I have more integrity now, and I wouldn't do that. But that is the way. Well, you do? I, no, I was kidding. Okay. I guess the doors were kind of thin in what was a Ramada Inn on the second floor there. So worked out well. I remember on the end of day one, Jeremy Pruitt just happened to get in the elevator with Greg Sankey, the SEC okay. commissioner, and so the, suddenly the typing hushed to hear what their 
small talk conversation was going to be. And Jeremy Pruitt, th there was like, I think a legal conversation going on with Greg Sankey and, uh, and the uh, SEC compliance legal affairs guy that was at the elevator. And Jeremy Pruitt instantly turned the conversation to a high school game he coached in Alabama many years ago. <laughs> I, heard, I heard him say, you know, the high school state championship, uh, dot, 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 and then the doors closed. So I can only imagine what, uh, what continued that conversation there. We would look at body language. Um, when people would come out of the room, there were two, there were, there were three types of people when they would come out of the room. There was the, um, all smiles person. Everything's going great. That was Danny White. Now, I could have, I could have predicted, I would have bet my life savings that Danny Wine had a big old cheesy grin he every did. time well, he it, came out of those meeting rooms. And, and you think about it, he's like the only guy in there of either side, the Pruitt side or the Tennessee side that can say, hey, had nothing to do with this. I wasn't even the state at the time. I'm just observing. He had a smile on his, on his face pretty much the entire time there. And then the did, second did he announce any fundraising campaigns while he was uh, up there, Adam? Are he, we aware of any any GoFundMe accounts that were launched from inside the committee and in, infractions here? I think that was coming on day three. Remember the hearing oh, okay. cut off early after day two. I think that was on the agenda for day three. So so we did miss that. Uh, the 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 second group were the people um, that would come out with just a dreary face and and it just wasn't it wasn't going to get any better. Jeremy Pruitt after the second or third break on the first day, that was him. He came out and could not hide his dismay. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the third group were the people, my favorites were the ones that would, you could tell when they opened the door to leave the hearing that they had a look of depression, but they instantly put on a happy face when they saw that somebody may be videoing them or watching them. That was Phil Fulmer. Phil Fulmer was in that group. The things are terrible. Oh, wait, no, they're, they're great. They're great. I assure you guys, they're, they're great. Actually, I take that back. There were not three. Uh, there were not three. There were four groups. The fourth group was Casey Pruitt, uh, Jeremy's wife. That was the I went in the room and I didn't come out group. Um, because I found when I was there on the first day before everybody got there, I went around and did a little bit of reconnaissance mission to see where the legal teams were at. They were in different rooms and different hallways. So you would know sort of the means of escape uh, if somebody didn't want to be seen. And uh, there was a back hallway to the Pruitt lawyer's room. And uh, when they were in violations one through three, which were the ones that involved Casey Pruitt, um, Casey Pruitt went into the hearing room and then we did not, did not see her for a number of breaks after that which you can only surmise she was going to the back door uh, to go, to go elsewhere to the legal team conference room. And so you, you pick up on little things like that. I, I know the uh, Weston conference level, level four, level three pretty well. Now did the babysitter show up? She was heavily involved in the uh, Jeremy Pruitt era. At I had on my, I had on my phone a number of photos of people that could be there, but I wouldn't have recognized them. So basically, I had like a uh, a list of suspects, so to say, so to speak, and I, I would I would ID some of these people, uh, and I ID some of the NCAA panelists, the jurors, so to speak, uh, would do that. I did not see anybody that I thought was a babysitter. Yeah, and some people appeared on Zoom, right? And so we don't know the full list of That's individuals right. who appeared on on Zoom. And they don't have subpoena power. So if I'm a if I'm Jeremy Pruitt's babysitter, his kid's babysitter, I probably don't 
answer a request by the NCAA. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I may have a babysitting job those two or three days. And so I can't miss out on income to sit on a Zoom for an NCAA panel. Uh, the, the, the most surprising guest of the whole time was the Portland Timbers, which is an MLS team that was there to play Cincinnati's MLS team. They barged into the hearing room on the in the last hour of the last day. This is a closed door meeting. There's signs that say private event. You can't cross this point. There's literally a velvet rope that will keep people away. But there is, as I mentioned, a back hallway, which is where Jeremy Pruitt's lawyers had a conference room. And if you slipped down that hallway and went all the way around uh, the, the back entrance to the hearing room, and you happen to go up to a closed door that said private meeting, and you thought, I think I'm going to open this door and see what's behind it. Uh, and you're the Portland Timbers, then <laughs> that's what you do. And then a lady that works for the NCAA will yell at you and chase you out <laughs> of the room. That was, that was with about an hour left in the hearing that occurred. Let's, let's get into the, the, um, some of the particulars of, of what went up there and, and what you kind of interpreted, Adam. Uh, we'll get to the Tennessee side of things in a minute. Obviously, the stakes for Jeremy Pruitt were, were very high. We, we've already seen um, some former members of his staff, uh, including assistants Brian Niedermeyer and Shelton Felton, reach a, a negotiated resolution for show cause penalties. And, you know, there were 18 level one violations in the notice of allegations that came out last summer. One of those is an institutional charge, the failure to monitor. That's what Tennessee was up there arguing against, trying to get that charge uh, reduced. And a lot of the other charges dealt with with Jeremy Pruitt or uh, conduct by those he was responsible for overseeing. So a lot of charges. We know what's at stake here uh, because, you know, we've already seen members of his staff agree to multi-year show cost penalties. Uh, I think it's fair to say that's that's what uh, is on the line for Jeremy Pruitt, the possibility of a multi-year show cause. So we'll get into this Tennessee side of things in a minute. But first, on Jeremy Pruitt, I know he didn't you know, make any statements to the media, uh, hold a press conference afterwards. But, you know, and just were you able to piece together anything you mentioned? It didn't seem like things were going great for him, despite the fact you weren't in the room. You kind of pick up on some things. It didn't seem like it was going great. What, what other, uh, I guess, interpretation did you have of, of how things went uh, across two days for the Pruitt camp? Yeah, there was a reasonable amount of background that you could only get if you were there. Um, Jeremy Pruitt, I, I think, expects that he's going to get some kind of penalties. I, I think he would be surprised if he didn't get a show cause. Um, like you mentioned, his assistants got show cause penalties. I think I think those that spoke on Zoom through the Zoom call, uh, some of those people that were implicated basically supported the fact that Jeremy Pruitt, or at least they didn't deny that Jeremy Pruitt had knowledge of the violations. I think others took Jeremy Pruitt's side and said, you know, he didn't know about it. We did it. He didn't know about it. The, 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 the sense that I got from that is that there, it was a split room, at least of, of witnesses or co-conspirators or culprits or whatever you want to, however you want to put it. That's bad for Jeremy Pruitt, because if, if anybody is asked, uh, was he involved? And they can't say absolutely not. He knew nothing unless everybody can say that Jeremy Pruitt, I think, is in hot water. And so I think he left there with probably the realization that he's going to get some penalties. I would think that would be a show cause. You know, his strategy going in was to say, uh, yeah, Tennessee didn't know anything. And also, I didn't know anything. 
the university didn't know and I didn't know. And that's, you know, in some cases, coaches can make that claim and have penalties reduced a little bit. The problem with for Jeremy Pruitt is that his wife is implicated and the babysitter of his kids are implicated and his several members of his staff are implicated. It's just it's just hard to make the case that he didn't know when a whole lot of people around him knew. Adam, did uh, Jeremy Pruitt have one of those COVID gaiters on? Was he wearing one of those? I, I always thought that was a great look on the sidelines. <laughs> he had a jacket on the whole week. Uh, I did not see a gaiter. Uh, okay. unless, he, unless he put one on just specifically for the hearing. When the door shut, he put one on. But uh, d- did not notice one, John. He was dressed up. He had the jacket on. But this is like a convention of nicely tailored suits on, on lawyers. And uh, he 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 didn't look the part of the rest of the people there. That's for sure. The, I mean, there was a dichotomy of diff- of people there. He had to feel a little out of sorts. I know I would feel out of out of sorts as a as a poor journalist if I was in that room because these are all chancellors, presidents, attorneys that actually don't work at universities. A few people in athletics. Um, Jer- you know, Jeremy Pruitt did not fit with the room, but. Um, you know, Chancellor Plowman and all those attorneys fit with the room. Um, it was an interesting observation I made after a little while there that you would see, you would see how people were grouped together, who who fit and who stuck out by by how how they would go on breaks when they would take a, a, a fifteen minute bathroom break or a lunch break or something like that. Jeremy Pruitt would exit the room and go to where his lawyers were in their conference room. Tennessee's people would exit the room and go to their conference room with their lawyers. The NCAA staff would go to the restroom. Dante Plowman would go to none of these places. Dante Plowman would go into the common area where the NCAA panelists, that is the jurors in this case, were at. And Dante Plowman would make small talk with all the jurors. She she hugged a couple of them because she knows them from from other things uh, dealing with different universities. And, you know, I, I even uh, said to somebody leaving there uh, that Tennessee was working its strategy. Jeremy Pruitt was working his strategy and Dante Plowman was working the room. And you could tell that's what she was there for. It was a savvy move. Maybe it helps her. Maybe it doesn't. But it was clear to me that Dante Plowman fit everybody else in that room. Jeremy Pruitt was the one that stuck out. John, were you surprised that that Philip Fulmer uh, was at these hearings? I mean, he's not mentioned specifically in the notice of allegations. Now, uh, I think it's reasonable to think that his presence could be expected based on the the failure to monitor charge from the institution. Uh, of course, Tennessee said Philip Fulmer didn't know about any of this misconduct, and, and in fact, you know, back two years ago when they fired Jeremy Pruitt, they said that Philip Fulmer shouldn't have been expected to even know about this because the the lengths to which Pruitt and his associates went to to shield this from officials at Tennessee um you know were very great and and that kept it out of Philip Fulmer's eyes so he, so he's not mentioned in the notice of allegations but again there is a a failure to monitor charge and as athletics director that is part of your responsibilities right is is uh, overseeing those underneath you and this is an AD who is omnipresent around that program helped coach the offensive line uh, and once bragged that uh, being the AD at Tennessee was very easy because he knew the good guys from the bad guys and he knew where all the bones were buried. Well, 
evidently he didn't. And uh, he was he was in Cincinnati for these hearings. Were you surprised he was there, John, or did you expect Philip Fulmer would would be there at this? Well, very much so. Uh, I guess somebody picked up his tab. Maybe the university picked up his tab. I don't think he would go there on his own dime, certainly. Uh, yeah, that's a good point about his saying that he knew the good guys from the bad guys. So the conclusion from that is he got fooled by Jeremy Pruitt. Who wants yes. that on their resume? Adam, you, you, you seem to have some some observations from the, the different uh, players up there in Cincinnati. Did you have any interaction with Philip Fulmer? We know he didn't speak to the, the media. What was, uh, what was sort of his presence in and around the meetings? He was pretty stoic when he got there. Um, it seemed like a guy uh, that didn't want to be there, but kind of had to. I mean, he, he's retired. He's getting paid a lot of money in retirement, I, I believe, through the end of this year. Um, so I think there is, a, I think there was some sense that there was a duty for him to be there. Um, I mean, he was he was coming out, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, to try to support the university's claim that it monitored uh, to the extent that it should have. Um, so against the failure to monitor claim. Uh, and then also, I think he was there just in case defense was needed against Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt, you know, it, at least could have made some accusations within his answers um, that Tennessee would have to answer for. And so Philip Fulmer was there for that. One thing that I think is a misconception about how these uh, how these hearings work is that you you don't you know, there's there's um, there's four sides to this or actually four tables. There's the, the jurors, the prosecutors, that's the enforcement staff, enforcement staff of the NCAA. There's Jeremy Pruitt's side and then there's Tennessee side, four tables. Um the prosecutors, the enforcement staff, lay out their oral arguments about what they think went wrong. And then the panel, that is the jurors, then take over and they ask questions to the enforcement staff, to Pruitt and to Tennessee. But those other entities don't get to post questions at each other. So Jeremy Pruitt could not directly address Tennessee. Tennessee could not directly address Jeremy Pruitt. And I think that's an important distinction because if you're trying to make accusations uh, as Jeremy Pruitt threatened to do in a lawsuit, there wasn't, there wasn't that much a chance for him to do that here. So I think Philip Fulmer's presence was especially there in case Jeremy Pruitt made an accusation about Tennessee to the panel. If the panel then wanted to get Tennessee side of that, Phil Fulmer would be in a position uh, to answer for that. Philip Fulmer's reputation obviously is, was great as a coach. A national championship coach um, at Tennessee. As an administrator, his reputation obviously has not been real good, especially because he hired Jeremy Pruitt and this went on under his watch. I think he can save face to some degree if his name does not appear in the final report. Officially, the NCAA does not implicate him. Officially, Tennessee does not implicate him in its response to the NCAA. And so if he can get through this last part, which is the final decision, without his name appearing anywhere, at least of wrongdoing or knowledge of wrongdoing, then then he's escaped. And I think that'll be sort of the last uh, the last period on Philip Fulmer's career with Tennessee. But there is there is a little bit of a risk that if Tennessee is found guilty of failure to monitor, that Philip Fulmer would actually be named uh, by the NCAA panel as being responsible for that. 
Yeah, you make you make a good point um, in in what uh, you know the institution and Jeremy Pruitt could could do in this room, Adam. You know, if if Jeremy Pruitt, I feel like wanted to really hold Tennessee's feet to the fire and uh, get a chance to kind of have his say and ask them questions, probably better opportunity to do that in a in a civil suit. You know, if Jeremy Pruitt wanted to, which his lawyer said a year and a half ago he was going to do, that never came to pass. Uh, but if if you want to have your say and and sort of you know, cross-examine Tennessee, I guess, if you're Jeremy Pruitt. Well, you you need to file a civil suit to have the opportunity to, to do that. It's like you said, um, you know, in this case, if we're, we're using a court analogy, Jeremy Pruitt and, and Tennessee are, are both defendants in this case. The NCA enforcement's the prosecutor, and in this analogy, the Committee on Infractions are the, are the jury. Well, one defendant doesn't get to grill the other defendant, <laughs> um, and, and this is not you know, the floor of Congress where Rand Paul can just kind of take the stage and filibuster for eight hours. You know, I don't, I don't think that there's, there's an opportunity for Jeremy Pruitt to do that either. So that, that's a, that's a great point, Adam, that um, the best chance for Jeremy Pruitt probably to, um, you know, try to blowtorch anybody would have been in a civil suit that for whatever reason um, he decided not to file probably because, you know, it seemed like, you know, Tennessee had pretty good grounds to fire him for cause. I mean, he had many, many, provisions in his contract under which he could have been fired for cause, including, um, you know, some of the stuff with, with NCA level one or two violations, it, it would make it very difficult for him to win a, um, you know, breach of contract type lawsuit. And that's probably why the lawsuit never came. Well, and I should also say that, uh, we don't know Jeremy Pruitt's side of the story in, in black and white, because, um, we got we, we got the NCAA notice of allegations. We then got Tennessee's response to those allegations. We've never seen Jeremy Pruitt's formal response to the allegations. So that would have been where uh, where he could have made his case uh, against the allegations that 13 of the 18 were against him individually, along with others. Um, so that's where he would have made his response. If we had seen that, we would have had a better idea. Uh, we requested that Knox News did. Tennessee denied it and, and used a, a number of confidentiality reasons and Tennessee code and, and, and things like that. So, so we haven't seen that. So he could have easily made the case that Tennessee had knowledge of it. Here's the problem. If in that response, he made the case that Tennessee had knowledge of wrongdoing, he's then admitting wrongdoing. They can't know something <laughs> if if. if, if they can only know something of a of an act that was committed, and uh, so he would be essentially um, admitting guilt if he said Tennessee knew something. So that that meant his best case to make accusations against Tennessee that they knew something would be in this hearing, and I just I don't think the setup was conducive to that. John, before we get to the, the, the university side of things, to wrap things up on Jeremy Pruitt. I guess your prediction of of where it goes from here for him do we do we see him back on a on a college sideline in any time in in the future or is this pretty much the last act of Jeremy Pruitt in college football do you think is is showing up across two days at a committee on infractions meeting before likely sanctions to come against him I don't see how he can avoid a show cause which would certainly uh not end his career, but curtail it for years. Now, after that, could he get another job? Perhaps, uh, perhaps as a quality control coach somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I think he's got a, 
do something else. I mean, maybe coach high school ball or something, or maybe an NFL, maybe he can get with an NFL team. He was with the New York Giants for a while. Um, despite what happened at Tennessee and as bad as the defense was at times, there seems to be a, still a, a feeling that he's a good defensive coach uh, based on what he did as a coordinator at Florida State, winning a national title at Georgia, and then in Alabama, where Alabama won a national title. Uh, but I just can't – I mean, Nick Saban's not going to welcome – he can't welcome him back with his show cause. He's uh, – uh, so I just don't see that happening anytime soon. And I, I remember when all this happened with, with Bruce Pearl and the Tennessee's basketball coach, and he got a, a show cause and his babysitter was not involved and neither was his wife or ex-wife. So, uh, I think, uh, I think Jeremy Pruitt is just really deep in transgressions here. And, and I don't see any way out of a show cause. I just think that would be impossible. All right, let's get into the institutional side of things. Their 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 charge was really the one. It was the the failure to monitor that in the notice of allegations. That's a level one charge, as Adam has has reported on throughout his coverage for Knox News. A failure to monitor charge, while still serious, is the the lesser of the fences uh, as compared to a lack of institutional control. So that's that's the good news for Tennessee. Is they got the failure to monitor charge and not the lack of institutional control. The bad news for Tennessee is uh, they'd prefer to have neither of those. They don't, they don't want that failure to monitor charge either. Um, they have self-imposed back in 2021, uh, Josh Heupel's first season. They self-imposed some, some scholarship reductions, some recruiting restrictions, and the NCAA, as we know, has applauded them for exemplary cooperation throughout this investigation. You know, Tennessee says, hey, we fired the bad actors. We, we cooperated with the NCAA, um, and, and it's Tennessee's goal here to sort of thread the needle and, and try to, um, to get out of this on the other side without significant additional penalties slapped on them by the NCAA. When it comes to Jeremy Pruitt, as we've discussed, we sort of know what's on the line for him. A, a show cause penalty of multiple years, I think, is on the line for Jeremy Pruitt. We don't exactly know what is on the line for Tennessee. If this failure to monitor charge sticks, I think it's likely that they would face additional sanctions beyond what they self-imposed in 2021. But we don't know what those additional sanctions could be. Could be probation, could be fines, could be more scholarship reductions or recruiting restrictions, uh, some combination of those things, or it could go up to including a postseason ban, which would probably be um, the least desirable outcome for Tennessee and an outcome that they would fight very strongly in an appeals process to what degree that would work. Um, probably, well, that's questionable at best, I guess. Adam, what was your take uh, from Tennessee? I know you heard from Dondi Plowman afterwards. She was the only individual, I believe, uh, made on-the-record comments to the media. Do you get any, any read for how Tennessee's feeling on the other side of these meetings? Yeah, I mean, they put on a... On a a happy face, I suppose. Um, you know, I'm trying to read the people coming out of the room. They're trying to read the room. Um, so they're not, you know, the, the final decision, the final report that will come out in a few weeks or months will tell us what the penalties uh, ultimately will, will be. They didn't know that when they left there. That's just not how this works. Uh, they may have got somewhat of a sense, but um, and I think they could have had a little bit of a sense going in because when you when you have a negotiated resolution, you discuss 
at least the the level of uh, of uh, violations, and therefore at least get some idea on what the penalties would be. Um, they went to a hearing, which means t- means Tennessee was not uh, didn't like what they were hearing from the NCAA. I, I would say this to to fans. Um, Wait to see when it comes out. Don't have expectations of what it's not going to be because it easily could be. The history that we know of the NCAA is uh, it's very unpredictable. Even under this new legislation, things that you think are not going to happen could happen. Um, scholarship cuts, I think more will come. Um, recruiting restrictions, I think more will come. To what degree, it, that, that's hard to say. Um you know, if this has dropped to a level two failure to monitor, then Tennessee's probably out of the woods or pretty close to that. Um, they're going to get a heavy fine, I would imagine, especially if this is upheld as a level one. Um, vacated wins, which I'm sure nobody really cares that much about if they erase some wins out of Jeremy Pruitt's three seasons. Uh, the, the big one, I think the only one that really uh, Tennessee fans care about is that bowl ban. I know that w- that was discussed to some degree during the hearing on the second day when failure to monitor was being discussed. Um, the the new NCAA legislation says that's likely off the table. It's going to be a really severe uh, case for that to be on the table. But this is 18 violations. So by the breadth of the case, this is severe. It's just how much they say is severe in the case of Jeremy Pruitt and individuals and whether it's severe on Tennessee side. The fact that this was dropped from institutional lack of institutional control to failure to monitor, I think, says that the NCAA is in somewhat of a forgiving mood. But how far that forgiveness goes, I think, would be in question. If um, if there is a postseason ban, Tennessee would immediately appeal it. I think there you get into another problem, though, because the appeals process takes months usually. And so if we fast forward to say that they were to, to get a bowl ban, if you're appealing it, that it may not be decided by the time you get to this postseason. So then you're talking about the next season, which is when the playoff expands to 12 teams. So there's not a good way. I, there's not a good way forward if a postseason ban comes down. I still think it would be. It, it, it's pretty unlikely that, that that's to occur, though. Okay, so Adam says it's unlikely. John, he says it's unlikely for a postseason ban, but. I believe he said likely uh, for other sanctions to occur, possibly including scholarship reductions and recruiting restrictions. John, I asked you about the the likely path forward here for Jeremy Pruitt. You're predicting a, a show cause and and maybe um, you know at least a, a continuation in coaching purgatory, uh, at least in college athletics for Jeremy Pruitt. Your thoughts on on the outcome here for Tennessee, with the caveat that we know. Historically, the NCAA is is um, sort of hard to predict <laughs> in these situations, and and we've seen in the past some schools that have been applauded for exemplary cooperation. That's not paid off for them when it comes to sanctions, and we don't know whether this is truly a new day or not, regardless of what the Constitution says. So, what are your thoughts for for what Tennessee is going to get out of uh, you know out of out of this with? I've thought about this a lot. I mean, there's been so much speculation. Some of it might fall into the overthinking category. It's like the infractions committee or the jurors will see, well, Tennessee really didn't get punished. Uh, it turns around, it's in the top 10. It uh, wins 11 games. It's The program is rolling. So it's as though 
they didn't suffer from all these uh, uh, from all this I- illegality. And uh, I, I think that I, I just don't see that really being a factor. I, I think I, I think that's I don't believe the infractions committee. Those people are delving that deeply into this where they know how good Tennessee was. I'd be surprised at that. I just think what, uh, Tennessee will get scholarship reductions. That's like a, in a way, that's about the hardest penalty left. I mean, that if you take away, say, five scholarships a year for two years, that to me would be a fairly tough sentence into, based on today's market. So, But I don't think it will get a postseason ban. All right. Well, we should know within, oh, maybe six or eight weeks time. We know these things drag along. And and this one for Tennessee, uh, the investigation stretches back really two and a half years at this point. But we do think it's maybe about two months away from a conclusion. Uh, Adam will continue to have the coverage over at KnoxNews.com, where you can find all of his reporting from the hearings in Cincinnati. And as Adam mentioned, Uh, earlier in this podcast there were only two reporters up there covering these hearings adam was one of them um and and i think did a it did a great job covering those meetings you won't find any better coverage elsewhere again you can find it on knoxnews.com and we will be back with you next week thanks for listening to the volunteer state just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.